second reading comes from 1 Corinthians, it's chapter 16, and it's actually on page 1062, I think, not 1060. Now about the collection for the saints. You should do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he prospers so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gracious gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they can travel with me. I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I will be travelling through Macedonia, and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing, for I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear from you, because he is doing the Lord's work just as I am. Therefore, no one should look down on him. Send him on his way in peace so he can come to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. About our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now. However, he will come when he has an opportunity. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like a man, be strong. Your every action must be done with love. Brothers, you know the household of Stephanus, They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labours with them. I am pleased to have Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus present because these men have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore recognise such people. The churches of Asia, Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Maranatha, that is, Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. Thanks so much, Alex. Thanks, Sally, as well, for bringing us the Bible readings. Hi, friends. It's great to be here. If we haven't met before, my name's Justin, and I'm one of the student ministers here at Church by the Bridge. And if this is your first time here, or if you just started joining us here, uh, welcome. Feel free to grab me afterwards. I'd love a chance to chat with you and to, to get to know you. So, growing up, going to the movies was a thing that we did as a family. Because, I mean, my dad was totally obsessed with action movies, right? So what happened was, during the 80s and the 90s, we spent more weekends than we can remember going to the cinemas, spending time with our favorite movie stars, Schwarzenegger and Stallone, right? But, look, it didn't really matter that we didn't actually understand anything that was coming out of their mouths, right? But when you think about it, lines like, get to the chopper, or it's not a tumor. I mean, how could you possibly forget them, right? 
So what happened was, it wasn't really until high school that I started broadening my horizons. And what you'll remember is that during the, the 90s, or the late 90s, feature film animation started getting big, right? And when you think about those movies, they're actually not really kids' movies, are they? Because the themes which they explore are pretty deep, right? But you know, there's one movie which has always really stood out for me, and that's the movie Up. Have you guys seen it? It's a great one, isn't it? So if you haven't seen it, basically the movie is about Carl, who's a grumpy old balloon salesman, who then meets his worst nightmare. And what's that? Russell, an eight-year-old scout who basically wants to earn his community service patch, right? And so what happens is these guys get together, and it's a bit of a rocky start, but they end up going on this amazing adventure. And it's a story of friendship and hope. But I guess if you've seen the start of that movie, it's, pretty, it's a pretty moving scene, isn't it? And it gets me every time. So basically it starts off with no dialogue, no music at all, and we see Carl, he meets his childhood sweetheart, and they work out that basically they share the same dream of one day becoming explorers. So what happens? They grow up, they get married, they buy a rundown house, and they turn it into their dream home. They save their loose change, they dream up the holiday that they want to go on, but, you know, life gets complicated, as it does in real life. And, you know, home repairs, flat tires, age, grief, unfulfilled dreams. And the opening montage closes with Carl right beside his sweetheart to the very end. And, you know, being the delicate flower that I am when it comes to the movies, it gets me emotional every time. But, you know, aside from that, there's something powerful and extraordinary about this sort of everyday love, isn't there? And when you kind of step back and think about it, it's the same kind of everyday love that we get a sense of when we look at this chapter in 1 Corinthians, isn't it? Now, tonight, uh, we wrap up Paul's letter to the church in the ancient city of Corinth, and what a strange ending. It's pretty bizarre, isn't it? I mean, I sort of looked at this passage and I thought to myself, boy, what am I going to say? Like, it's, it's all a bit strange because I'm expect, expecting some flourishing conclusion, right? Some stirring encouragement. But what does Paul do? He writes to them about some pretty ordinary things, doesn't he? I mean, have a look at it. Verses 1 to 4. It's how to set aside money for the weekly collection to support church. Verses 5 to 12, it's all about Paul's travel plans and showing hospitality in terms of who Paul's been working with. And then verses 15 to 18, he's talking about how they should support their leaders, right? You see that? But there's a couple of verses in there. They're kind of hidden in there. There's a couple of verses in there which I think really tie these passages together, this entire chapter. Can you see where they are? 
Have a look. Verses 13 and 14. He says this, Be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like a man, be strong. And here's the clincher. Your every action must be done with love. See what Paul's getting at here, don't you? He's painting a picture for us of what everyday love looks like, right? And when you think about it, it's actually pretty consistent with the rest of Paul's letter, isn't it? Remember chapter 13? Pretty amazing chapter, isn't it? It's one of the most striking passages in the Bible when it comes to describing the depth and the nature of God's love. It's a focal point of Paul's letter. So friends, what I want us to see tonight is this. Because this is what I think chapter 16 is all about. It's that God's extraordinary love empowers us to live everyday lives marked with love. Extraordinary love empowering everyday lives. And so we're going to look at three things tonight. Firstly, we're going to look at the eternal hope of the Christian faith. That's the first thing. The second thing, we're going to look at the experience of God's extraordinary love. And then thirdly, how that love empowers us to live everyday lives. Eternal hope, extraordinary love, everyday lives. So friends, should we go to our first point? Our first point is this. The eternal hope of the Christian faith gives us the right perspective to live life every day, right here, right now. I mean, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I hear what you're saying, and you know, that sounds right, but does Paul actually talk about that in chapter 16? Does he? And you know, if you're asking that question, you're right. He doesn't really talk about that directly, but here's the thing. Think about the context that Paul's speaking to us in, in chapter 16. That's pretty important, isn't it? What comes before chapter 16? Chapter 15, right? Sounds intelligent. And what's chapter 15 about? Well, it's, we heard about it last week, didn't we? It's all about the future hope of resurrection, right? You see, friends, the call to live out everyday life here flows from a much greater hope and a much greater reality, the reality of the gospel. I mean, we we saw it last week, but friends, let's turn back with me. Let's go to chapter 15 and look at what Paul says in the first few verses, because I think this is so important. He says this, Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. What's that gospel? It's right there in verse 3, isn't it? That Christ died for sins according to Scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to Scripture. But friends, the thing is this. The gospel isn't just something in the past, is it? It guarantees an amazing future and hope for us and the world and you know, and what's that hope the reversal of all the brokenness 
that we see inside us, that we see around us, isn't it? The hope of resurrection. Jesus' promised return. And you see, friends, that's what Paul fleshes out here in the rest of chapter 15 before he launches into chapter 16. And he ends with these words at the very end of chapter 15. Have a look. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Future hope changes everything right here, right now. You see that? You know, here's the thing. I'm one of those guys who actually loves shopping. And, you know, it's pretty weird. I'm aware of that. My wife tells me that all the time. But you know what scares me the most? Stock take sales. Stock take sales. Why? Think about it. We've seen what happens during the stock take sales, haven't we? And I'm talking about myself here. Um, but people kind of get a bit crazy, don't they? They get this crazy look in their eyes. They're rummaging through the stock. Why? Because everyone's afraid of missing out, right? And they'll do whatever it takes to get the best price right here, right now. True? But I mean, when you think about it, that sort of behavior, it actually isn't that surprising, is it? Because in our culture, the way we see life, so often this stuff, our jobs, our lifestyles, it's all there is, right? And, you know, if this is what life is all about, then it makes perfect sense for us to grab as much as we possibly can right here, right now. Whether it's the promotion or the property, whether it's the partner or the retirement plan, it doesn't matter, whatever. Getting left behind, it's the worst thing, right? I mean, we've all experienced, let's be honest, we've all experienced FOMO, haven't we? The fear of missing out. See, friends, when we get that the life that we are living here is this small compared to the amazing eternity that God has promised us, that Jesus really is going to return, just as Paul calls him to in verse 22, and that that could happen at any moment, right here, right now. We might not even get to point two tonight, friends. But if we get that, it changes everything, doesn't it? The choices that we make every day, the big ones, the small ones, and in the same way, the thousands, literally the thousands of small decisions that we make every day show us exactly where our desires and our hopes are, right? How much we really value the eternity that God's shared with us in the Bible. And friends, that's what's sitting behind chapter 16. You see that? And so later tonight, we're going to spend some time exploring what that looks like for us here and now. But friends, I want us to move to, to our next point. 
what lies at the heart of this eternal hope? The answer? Extraordinary love. You see, God's extraordinary love empowers us to love radically. And we see that in verse 13, don't we? What's he say? Be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like a man, be strong. But, and verse 14 really hits us, it says this. I think it's so confronting, and I'm going to explain why. He says, every action must be done with love. I mean, that's such a big call, isn't it? What's he saying? He's saying that right here, right now, everything that you do, be reminded of the eternal hope that I've just shared with you about. Be ready, be unmoved in your trust in God. And how do you express that? Every thought, every desire, every action must be driven and motivated by one thing, love. I mean, that's pretty full on, isn't it? Friends, let's, let's think about that for a second. I mean, doesn't almost every religious or belief system recognize the importance of love in some way, shape, or form? I mean, when it comes to loving others and doing good to others, do we even need religion to know that that's a good thing? So, friends, my question is this. What makes the Christian faith so unique? Why is it so unique? You see, friends, what makes a Christian faith so unique is this. That the core to love is initiated, is empowered, and is sustained, not by human will and decision, right? But by God and his love for us. You with me? Okay, let's... Let's just step back for a second and just ask ourselves, what, what exactly is going on here right now? I mean, basically, where you guys are sitting, I'm standing on this spinning ball of gas, water, and rock, right? True? Suspended in space, and we're going round and around. And we're doing it in what? Well, apparently, we're doing it in, in a universe of, they say... 100 octillion stars. I don't even know what that means. But I googled it, and apparently it's a one with 29 zeros after it. See how small we actually are? So small, right? And yet, according to the Bible, God's love for us was so great that even though we were so insignificant, even though we had rejected our creator, that even though we had caused this relational chasm between us and him, what did he do? He bridged that chasm. How did he do it? By crossing the universe to come right into our world. By giving his life on the cross for us, in our place to restore that relationship. 
But more than that, to promise the eternal hope that we've heard about tonight. I mean, that's one crazy story, isn't it? It's love, right? You see, friends, when we look at the Bible, you know what the focus is? It's not about our love. It's about God's extraordinary love for us. And you see, when we get that for ourselves, then we really get what it means to love others. And for those of you who were here last week, you remember what Pastor LT shared with us? This is what he said. He said, God wants something for us before he wants something from us. With me? And that's why God never calls us to a life of love without first giving us the power to do it. And so when we grasp exactly how extraordinary God's love for us is, it really does empower us, right? From the inside out. It shapes our our motivations. And friends, motivations matter, don't they? I mean, some of you guys have seen the TV show House of Cards, right? Kevin Spacey, if you haven't, Kevin Spacey plays Frank Underwood. And basically, the show tracks the life of a super ambitious U.S. congressman. And we see his political maneuvering and and manipulation. I mean, he's one slippery character, isn't he? You see, for Frank, whatever he does and says, he seems to say and do all the right things. And so to the people who don't know him, he's got this kind of shiny, super shiny exterior, right? But for us... The audience, we see the real Frank Underwood, ruthlessly pragmatic, every action driven by self-interest. But friends, let's be honest. We all look at ourselves and we think that we live pretty respectable lives, don't we? But somewhere inside, there's a Frank Underwood in all of us. You just got to find him. So how do we set our motivation straight? How do we do it? We need God's love to radically reshape us and our hearts from the inside out. You see, I think the theologian Jonathan Edwards captures it so well. Listen to what he says. He says this, The work of redemption which the gospel declares unto us above all things affords motives to love. For that work was the most glorious and wonderful work of love ever seen or thought of. Love is a principal thing which the gospel reveals in God and in Christ. I mean, friends, we want to blow this world away with God's love. The love that Paul's talking about in verse 14, how do we do it? Be blown away by God's love for us first. But friends, let's move to our last point. And the last point is this. You see, when we get the eternal hope of the Christian faith right, when God's love captures us and our motivations are driven from the inside out with love, 
than the ordinary things of day-to-day life, just like the things that Paul's telling, telling us about in chapter 16. They take on a whole new purpose and dimension, right? So let's explore that. I mean, verses 1 to 4. What's, what's going on there? Well, it looks at the way that Paul calls the Corinthians and calls us to give and to share of our wealth, isn't it? Paul's explaining that basically they should look out for each other financially and materially. That the church in Jerusalem was really in need at that time. And so basically Paul's saying, look, this is how you guys can set aside a little bit extra each Sunday to make sure that your friends, your brothers and your sisters aren't in need. What are we looking at? Isn't it everyday giving in response to extraordinary love? That's what it is, right? What about verses 5 to 12? Well, there's a couple of things there. I mean, firstly, it's about Paul's desire to connect with the people that he loves, and we can see that in verse 7. Have a look at verse 7. He says this, I don't want to see you just now in passing, for I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows. And when you read the rest of the letter, when you get to the end of chapter 16, you can see the same warmth that Paul has for the Corinthians in the closing verses, right? That's the first thing. And the second thing is hospitality. And I mean, you can see that in verse 10, can't you? Because basically, when you look at it, Timothy, who was Paul's missionary companion, he was a bit different, wasn't he? I mean, if you know Timothy's background, basically he had a Jewish mother and a Greek father, which back in those times in that particular cultural climate was not something that people easily accepted. But what does Paul say? He says, if Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear from you because he is doing the Lord's work. Therefore, no one should look down on him. Everyday hospitality in response to extraordinary love. And what about verses 15 to 18? I mean, it's all about the way that we support and submit those who serve us in leadership, right? You see that? I mean, you know, there's something that's pretty amazing about what some organizations throughout the world are doing. And I hopped online um, earlier this week and had a bit of a look at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And I read that basically they have given 367 billion dollars in grants to 100 countries. I mean, that's phenomenal, right? That is a crazy amount of money. And when I look at that, I think to myself, boy, how do I, could I possibly make a difference in this wealth? I don't have that sort of resource. But friends, I want us to picture this. Just imagine this for a second. Imagine f- for a moment that every person in this world who was touched by the eternal hope that we've heard about tonight, every person who has experienced the extraordinary love of God, lived everyday lives of such generosity that no one in their immediate circles was in need. Imagine communities of individuals who were so personally touched by this love that lives were shared for the sake of seeing others come to experience 
God's extraordinary love. Can you see it? From the fact that outsiders, whatever their race or their religion, whatever their experience, whatever their sexuality, was warmly welcomed and accepted into churches, into homes. No fear, no judgment. Can you imagine what our world would look like? Can you imagine what our city would look like? I mean, we'd see something extraordinary, wouldn't we? What would we see? We'd see a movement powered by God's love. But friends, let me wrap up tonight with this. So, a few weeks back, um, Jen, my wife, and I were in Katoomba. And we were just there for a weekend getaway. And basically, that weekend that we were there, it just happened that there was a festival happening. The Winter Magic Festival. Don't know if you guys have heard of it. We hadn't. And we thought, you know, we want to see what the fuss is about. And so we went out there, and what do we see? Well, this is what we saw. We saw groups of men dressed as fairies with streamers and glitter and wings prancing around to the sound of music and drums. It was magical, completely magical. But you know, there's one thing that stood out for me that really struck me that day. So as Jen and I were walking towards the festival, we noticed that amongst all the crowd, there was a family of three people. Two teenage brothers and one sister. And what was obvious to us was that the sister was mentally disabled. But what was also obvious was the profound love which those two brothers had for their sister as they gently navigated her through the crowds that day. Friends, there's something powerful about everyday love, isn't there? It really is. So God's question for, for us tonight is this. Do we know the eternal hope that God is calling us to? Are our hearts gripped by his extraordinary love? Is his love shaping us from the inside out? Do we want to be part of a movement of ordinary people living everyday lives, sharing God's extraordinary love? Are we ready to be epicenters of gospel impact, emanating God's love into our city, into our world, through our families and our workplaces? That's our calling, isn't it? If that's what we want, then friends, look to the one who loved you so much that he came to you, for you, to die in your place and to guarantee and promise the eternal hope that you and I long for. Friends, should we pray? Lord God, Father, we want to thank you so much for your extraordinary love. That even when we had no love for you, 
you had immense love for us. Lord God, we don't deserve the hope that you promise us. Lord God, our deepest desire is to live everyday lives which reflect and emanate your extraordinary love. Father, we need your help. We need your strength. And so, Lord God, we ask that your spirit empowers us to do that great work that you've called us to. And we long to see our families, our workplaces, our city, and our world transformed by your extraordinary love in the everyday. And Father, we pray for all these things in Jesus' mighty name.